I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. This is Richard Deitch. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, but a great one. It's Jason Benetti. He has been in the news. He is the new Detroit Tigers television voice. Um, That is an exceptional get for the Detroit Tigers. If you've ever heard this podcast, you know I consider Jason Benetti essentially at the top of the pyramid when it comes to baseball voices in the United States. And we go about 40 minutes and he discusses his decision as to why he left and how he's approached it. Um, the idea of sort of calling national games as well as local games this is a great 40 minutes. Um, uh, we get into Bill Walton a little bit. Jason's uh, just a really, really bright, brilliant guy and, and transparent. And uh, I can't thank him enough for making some time in what's been a very, very busy week. So Jason Benetti coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right. As I said at the top, um, I'm really pleased to have this guest. He's actually doing me a big solid here because he's in the middle of his college basketball season and is currently on assignment. In fact, I believe in West Lafayette. So he's taking some time out of a very busy schedule to talk to me. Jason Benetti, of course, if uh, you have read any newspaper or Twitter post in the last uh, 48 hours, is the new voice of the Detroit Tigers. Um, Coming from the White Sox, we will certainly get into that discussion he also does uh, national work for Fox calling play-by-play college football, college basketball, uh, baseball, also does stuff for West 1-1 audio. And with that, I'm pleased to bring in Jason Benetti. Jason, welcome. Richard, how are you? I'm good. Is like I have never been to West Lafayette, uh, Indiana. Is, is it, uh, other than obviously being the home of Purdue University, like is there a famous food that one's supposed to eat when they're in West Lafayette? Oh, famous food. So there are a couple places. There's one like diner that's kind of like the local diner that tourists go to called the Triple X, uh, known for its known for its, uh, you know, root beer and hot dogs and things like that. And uh, so I've been there once, but I I generally I'm here for like the day because it's so drivable from Chicago. Um, So, yeah, I actually I took the lazy way out and door dashed in between shoot arounds today. If you are with Robbie Hummel, can you pretty much get like a drink or a food anywhere? I feel like when that oh, happens. My the mayor. Yeah, like they're making I'm looking out my window right now. They're making yet another statue of him <laughs> out out here. It's unbelievable. He is beloved here. I actually during the uh Xavier shoot around, there's a note in the Xavier game notes for this game as we're sitting here talking that uh, the last time Xavier played Purdue, Purdue gave up a 19-point second-half lead and lost. And I texted Robbie the picture of the note, and he wrote me back like, it was an effing collapse, LOL. Uh, yeah, not good. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I figure he would be a popular figure there. Okay, um, let's start here. What have the last couple of days been like for you? You know, as a, as a baseball announcer, uh, one that's both national and local, you know, you're going to get your share of uh, 
press occasionally and people will occasionally mention you on Twitter, but nothing like this. The last, have you ever had a 72, 96 hour period like you've just had? No, no. Yeah, I haven't. What's it been like? It was, uh, yeah, really hard emotionally. And I, you and I have known each other long enough that like, I hope you know that when I say that, I don't use the word emotional lightly. Uh, I'm a pretty emotional person in the first place, but I, there are a lot of White Sox fans who I've become friends with over the course of my time doing these games and and growing up loving the team. Like, you can never take that out of somebody's uh, heart where they grew up, right? There's always a piece. And knowing the reaction of some people saying, you know, like, why is he doing this? What's happening? We're going to miss him. Good riddance. You know, like what, whatever the range is there, I knew it was going to be uh, overwhelming. And I am so heartened by so many people reaching out personally and everything. But it was to answer your question, it uh, when it was over Friday morning, like when that whole Thursday and the announcement and everything, I just felt this lightness about me. I was dreading it. Because I, I care about a great number of people in Chicago, and I was really, really dreading it, that that announcement portion of it. Now, like the Tigers, I, I don't want anybody listening to this from Detroit say like, oh, well, he, you know, he can't cut the court. Freddie Freeman is the first person that popped into my mind because he lived in Atlanta. He loved Atlanta. That was the organization that drafted him, all that stuff. And like you go to where the opportunity is and you go to where like people in that interview process like they wanted a person who fancies himself what i do on the air and it's like awesome to have that wash over me that that's where i'm going but um there were moments the the other night before it got announced that i was just i was really really sad let's get into that a little bit you um you said that bally sports detroit inquired with your agent if you'd be interested in the job, was that interest for you a surprise? Did that come out of the blue for you or were you tipped at all that that might happen? No, I didn't, I didn't really know what was, you know, around the bend in my career. I, I had never talked to the person who reached out to my agent. Uh, and so I, I had never really, run into that person. So I, I, I had no idea anything like that was coming. I mean, I was signed for another year with the White Sox. So no, I, I didn't have any sense of that being any interest. Like when I was in Detroit earlier in the year, I did a Fox game. Nobody came up to me and said, Hey, we might have an opening that, that, and, and thank goodness, because that would have been a red flag for me because there was a very good friend of mine in the job. You know, like that's the hardest part of this is somebody lost their job in the process of me getting announced and whatever celebration people had, like Matt Shepard lost his job. And I hate that. Like that is, it's awful to have that be the circumstance. So I didn't know. No, I did not know it was coming. You, um, you said that, um, when you were being interviewed by the Tigers and obviously the White Sox, uh, if you're under contract, had to give permission for that conversation, I imagine, um, you were surrounded, this is your quote, I was surrounded by people who want to be extraordinarily great and forward thinking and do this in a smart analytical way that is just beyond the scope of anything I would have expected in terms of what they also want from their television announcer. I wonder if you can um, 
detail that a little bit more. Those conversations obviously sparked something for you, like this could be a fit for me. So what were they telling you that made you believe, yeah, this could be home for me? Yeah, they they want to be great. They want to have the best telecast in Major League Baseball. And they want to do it by, number one, making sure that fans who don't understand analytics have the opportunity to if they want to. But if they don't, that they get everything they went, want to out of a baseball show as well. Stories about players, fun at the ballpark, strategy, however basic, whatever it might be. They want the ballpark to come alive. And they also want fans who are new age fans to have the ability to have the touchstone of analytics too. But I wouldn't have gone anywhere that wanted one to the exclusion of the other. And I know that's a little bit of a straw man by saying that because everybody will say some version of it, but it's very clear with who they have installed in the front office with Scott Harris and Jeff Greenberg. And then A.J. Hinch as the manager, a guy who played baseball, but also was in a front office and understands analytics very deeply and mixed and matched lineups, as well as anybody in Major League Baseball last year. But they also want to have fun. They also want to enjoy the ballpark. They also want people to come every day and have a smile on their face. And, you know, I, I very much believe in the Kansas carry on wayward son. If I claim to be a wise man, that surely means that I don't know sort of thing. But I do like to have fun, Richard. Like I do like to have a good time doing baseball. And sometimes you're going to miss and sometimes you're going to hit. But the stuff that happens in the ballpark is the most glorious part of doing baseball. And they want that. They didn't say we'll tolerate that. They said we want it. Yeah. And listen, in, in today's world, escapism is probably more important than ever. Um, one of the things for someone like you, and this is very common now for younger broadcasters um, who have risen through the ranks as you have, is that you will not only have a local job, you have national interests and there are national companies that have interest in you, as we saw with you at ESPN and now Fox. Um, how do I ask this? Was that a tension? Was that was that a point of tension for you with the White Sox? It clearly does not seem to be with the Tigers as they have brought you on understanding that you are also have these responsibilities away from Detroit. Yeah, it couldn't help but be because when I first got to the White Sox, I was missing the first season, you know, a couple games, the first two seasons, I was only doing 81 White Sox games. So I could go do football when the Sox were not at home and that would be fine. And then as my national profile grew, I needed more games off to get to the point where I could do a routine football package when it was available for me and everything that came along with it. So yeah, there was bound to be tension and yeah, I mean, the, but I also, you know, in 2020, I basically gave up football other than for one game because ESPN didn't have the ability to accommodate, hey, the White Sox are playing late, go sit in your apartment, do an afternoon game. It just wasn't easy for them. There was a lot in flux during that pandemic season. So I just didn't do football very much in 2020. So there was some give and take with the White Sox there. But yeah, I mean... Yes. The answer is yes. I mean, I, I think I've said that already, but yeah, there were times where it, it just wasn't exactly what they wanted in that department. But it also comes with being in that one place while the growth happens, right? Like uh, the Tigers know, and I know what I need to make Fox happy. 
And the tigers know that they're getting in bed with that. So it's just easier, right? And I, I don't know that it necessarily was reflective of the White Sox. It's simply the situation more than anything. Do you think like um, – <clears throat> I don't know how to ask this without sort of specific to the White Sox or the Tigers. You know, as someone who's written about this for a while now, I would argue that uh, pro sports teams have to just sort of acknowledge that this is the new landscape and that someone like yourself or Michael Kay or whoever is likely going to have national jobs. And I would look at it as, well, we have a broadcaster who has national ties. That's a great thing. That like to me means that like our broadcasts aren't just local, they're also national. Um, I guess, would you say, Jason, it has to do with the ownership? Like, I, I to me, I don't know. I'm su- I, I know there is tension, as you just said. I'm just surprised in 2023 there would be when it comes to wanting really high-quality people in the booth who are going to have interest sometimes in national jobs as well as local jobs. Yeah, I mean, it, it just – I think it depends on where you think the supply and demand curves meet. Right? Yeah. I think it also depends on how varied you want your announcer to be. Like, what do you want out of an announcer? Do you want somebody who's going to be there all the time? Or do you want somebody who's in demand? I mean, I will say anecdotally, uh, every campus I go to for a college game, football, basketball, wherever, I get talked to about baseball. Yes. People want to talk about the White Sox and now the Tigers. Like, I had a Tigers fan come up to me in Seattle this past weekend when we were doing Utah, Washington and say, Hey, I'm really excited to have you. And then I had a ton of Tigers fans tweeting at me like, and I I'm honored that this happened, but you know, we had that moment where the Washington player dropped the ball at the one yard line in Saturday's game. And the call went around and I had Tigers fans tweeting like, so proud to have this guy as my announcer. And I am so unbelievably flattered when I see that because it's like they actually what what you just said and what obviously I feel like, too, is that if I'm doing these games, that helps people understand the value of the industry. And, you know, for young announcers, two things. Number one, for young announcers, I'm super excited that the Tigers were willing to do this even with regional TV in some ways in flux and up in the air, there is value in having an announcer who's a storyteller to your franchise and to your fan base. It shows care for sort of the left brain portion of this instead of just the counting, uh, you know, checking boxes, I guess I would say. The other part of it is the sneaky thing that I think is really valuable to teams is I get so many text messages from White Sox players during games I'm doing, especially college football, because they're fans. They're fans of games. When I would come back on a Sunday in season, I would sit by guys' lockers and talk college football for 15 minutes. It just gives you a touchstone of something that they think is cool. I think it's cool that they care that much. And they like text me and give me shit in the middle of games. Like, why would you say that about my team? Great. Cool. Like, let's just be human beings and talk about you and talk about whatever. Yeah. You're in many ways a Pied Piper for the baseball organization when you're doing college football. That's how I would look at it. Um, And I think you look at it the right way. Um, 
in reading about this, you're signed to call a minimum of 127 Tigers games per season. So is that if in reading that, does that mean you will call 127 and there's a potential for you to call more? Is that how sort of it plays? Yeah, that's right. Uh, depending on my Fox schedule, like I, I don't have to use all my days off. They're willing to be flexible with me. And I, I, I have not said this, but I cannot tell you how appreciative I am of Dan Dickerson, the Tigers very, very, very talented and beloved radio announcer who is such a good man. He has said before that he doesn't really want to do TV long term. He loves the description of radio and all of that. And he said to the Tigers that if you can get a national voice, I will do the TV games. He really had no he like he has no aspirations to be like TV star guy. That's just yeah, not no, DNA in any way. And he literally said, if you can get somebody like that. And then eventually when I became a possibility, he said, if you can get Jason, I'll do all the games, which is like it chokes me up because, I mean, it's it's the most selfless thing you could imagine in this realm. Yeah, no, that's, I read that and I thought that was really uh, that was very, very cool. Um you will obviously have a partner. Will you have a say in who your partner is or do the Tigers make that call? I am trying to figure out where I'm supposed to eat near the ballpark. Like I'm no, uh, from what I've been told, it's um, uh, the, the one, the one guy that was uh, there uh, that I met on Thursday is, and I've known him from in the press box, but Craig Monroe is going to do the balance of the games. And he's been doing that for a couple of years now. Uh, so he's the guy that's going to do the balance of my know Kirk Gibson is in for some, which is awesome and thrilling for me. like <laughs> to work with Kirk Gibson is very cool. And Craig, Craig's relationship with players, multiple people came up to me uh, in between uh, people kind of knowing that this might happen and it getting announced, just people in the Tigers organization that were like, you are going to love how much he's in the clubhouse. You're going to love how much he does the work. And uh, so, yeah, that Craig is the guy I've heard for the balance of it. I know Kirk Gibson is involved as well. And I, uh, I'm going to leave the rest of it to people who actually make decisions on that. But the fun part is like the, the Peacock games. Last time I saw you, we were sitting in the hotel lobby in Toronto and I was getting ready to, I think it was with uh, Rex Hudler and Pat Tabler. Maybe that day I had a couple games in Toronto uh, that year, but I love working with different people. Like, that's fun for me. So, I, you know, I don't want to say I don't care who it is because I want to have that rapport with somebody and the people I work with. But I also love the idea that the broadcast changes depending on who's next to you. Uh, I apologize if you've answered this already, uh, but I don't remember reading it. Um, did the White Sox, after you presented Detroit's significant interest or even contractual interest, did they try to counter or match? Or was it like Jason? Uh, thank you for your stay, and we'll we're well. Let's part ways amicably, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, we we kind of had that conversation after the deal was done. Um, the it, the way it works in baseball is you get granted permission by the other team, and then once that happens, you're kind of free to contract. And I was not in this for leverage. So I actually did not want to have that conversation um, in part because I, I just didn't, <clears throat> you know how every once in a while you run into people in this world, you know, you go to like a dinner party, you go to like a, a, a 
a meal that melds groups of people and they're like 12 people at dinner and like you have a good conversation with one person and you have a really nice conversation with another person then you just find yourself talking to the next person for 45 minutes and it went really fast that's how i feel about the tigers that the way that they have spoken to me and what they're looking for in an announcer even the way they handled all of it right it was totally above board they went and got permission from the White Sox. They moved things around to be flexible with me and my schedule. And the whole contract thing took a little bit longer than expected just because attorneys were working out little details. And so they pushed back the announcement a day because they knew it would be easier on me. And I just, I, I just respect how much grace and respect they've given me. And that's not to the exclusion of other employers or whatever it might be. But sometimes you run into people and there's a heightened level of, I get you. That's why I'm with the Tigers. Um, you, I, I want to be clear that Jason himself cautioned people on sort of not making this gross uh, overgeneralization. That said, one of the things you said that really struck me was that you found yourself sort of forming and um, uh, an analogy or an alliance with Detroit, which obviously historically as a city has been overlooked, been castigated, um, hasn't been funded. You know everything that about you know some of the worst images we've seen in the U.S. Detroit really gets a uh, a terrible knock. Actually, if you've ever been there, it's many times quite the opposite. In fact, if you actually actually go. Um, but I thought that was really interesting, Jason, because like you've been honest with me and you've been honest in your career that like you this this you didn't think this was ordained. You're not somebody who like when you were 15 was like, I'm going to be doing games on Fox Sports like, you know, that's Jim Nance or Keith Jackson or whoever. And so um, I don't know. I thought that was pretty endearing that you said that, that like, you know, Detroit's a city that many times has been counted out. I think you have felt. Um, just given your own sort of physical situation that you've encountered out, and now you two, you know, now you've you've aligned yourself with the city. And again, not to be overgeneralization, but I thought that was a pretty thoughtful thing you said. It matters to me deeply um, that people who I don't want to say deserve, because you don't get what you deserve in this life, but people who have done the work to earn something get recognized as the full fully fledged person they are like i i tweeted this back in march of this past year uh deep into my television career i had somebody say to me when i asked for more respect and basically demanded more respect just in the way i was being treated they said respect according to normal human beings or respect according to Jason Benetti. That is one of those things that I say that's disqualifying and will be for a long time. I'll have a relationship, but I don't want to do that long term. And so I sit there and I think about the way that person probably sees me somebody to push around, somebody they can say that to and get value out of in some way, somebody that they can step over, whatever it might be. And the narrative about Detroit is like, you know, the Lions haven't been very good. And yeah, the Pistons were great back in the day, but nah, you know, the Tigers haven't been to the playoffs for a while. Oh, and you know, there's crime and whatever it might, that's like, 
No, 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 no. I, I have a college roommate that grew up there. He's the voice of the Raiders now and uh, on, on radio, Jason Horowitz. And he loves that city deeply in his heart. I have a wide array of other friends who are from there and they love the people they grew up around and they would do anything for those people. And they are not a statistic. Like, I don't even want to say it's like a hard scrabble place because that's an overgeneralization. But there are a lot of people who work so hard in that city and they, they come home and it's for what? It's for their family right? Like that's what it's for. And it's because work matters to them. This is the place where we overlap as I think about it more. The only way this career was going to happen is if I dug in on details because the superficial wasn't going to be good enough ever. And for Detroit, the superficial, they don't care about the superficial. The details are what matter in the people that I know from there. And that's just anecdotal. And I'll learn more when I move there. But that's the thing. It's like, we're not to be kicked around. We're people. Yeah, the uh, a good friend of mine, although I haven't seen her in a while, but uh, when I lived in Ann Arbor, uh, we spent a lot of time together. Kathleen Gallagher was a long time. Uh, staff photographer for the Detroit Free Press, um, shot a lot of uh, Detroit. And uh, every person I've ever met from Detroit, like they're just like genuine and real. It's like that's, it's a, that's, it's not a hard scrabble city, but in many ways it's a, um, it's an honest city. Like they will sort of tell you to, that you're being a fucking asshole if you're being an asshole. Like, it's just like, that's what I respect about Detroit. It's not, it's not pretend and it's not fake. Um, yes, don't bullshit me. Yeah, I mean, it really exactly. is like if you start talking about like, let's reconnect later. Let's go network. Let's go. Don't bullshit me. Are we going to have dinner or not? Right. That's Detroit. And uh, and um, again, if you've actually ever been there, like every other major American city that there's parts of Detroit that are not great. But there's other parts that are amazing. And um, it would be a city that I would invest in. Uh, you can get some amazing property now, actually, for 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 pretty decent value in uh, in the U.S. So I'm, you know, I again, like I said, I I, I noted that you had said that, and uh, and that stood out to me. All right, a, a couple more. It's things. also, but it's also yeah. like I will say, it's also like the generations. There are like four generations of Tigers fans, and that's not the case. Any, you know, there there are a lot of Tiger fans, right? There are a lot of Tiger fans where it runs deep through the genealogical chart. Yeah, right? well, and I the, mean, look at look at. I mean, uh, there's people who still talk about. Uh, I listened to uh, Kevin Nash, former professional wrestler. He's got a great podcast. He'll talk Diesel. about six. Yeah, Diesel. Oh, look at nicely done, Jason. He uh, he'll talk about sixty eight still and going to Tigers games with his dad like that. Like that matters um, to that fan base, uh, which gets me to you know it might not be as tough for you because you were uh, in you know you were with the White Sox for so long and you're a national baseball broadcaster, but like. Will it be a challenge for you to get up to speed on the Tigers or are you sort of already up to speed because you've been doing an adjacent team for as long as you've been doing? Like how does I know from at least my world in the print end that it's different to be the print. uh, Like if you were a beat reporter for the White Sox and then you got the Tigers job, like it's a new job. Like, you know, what I'm saying like some things track, but not really. How does it how is it for you in your position? Yeah, I, there's relationships to build for sure in the clubhouse. Like 
I will be at spring training early, getting to know the players more deeply. That's important. Getting to know philosophically what they want to do with free agency. I, I'm really glad I joined up before free agency hit in earnest because I can then play along with all the moves. And I've been around baseball enough now that I know the players that are involved and their skill sets and their archetype and all that stuff. Right. So that's, that's fine. And that's great. But yeah, I've got to, I've got to get to know those players more deeply because I just wasn't in the visiting clubhouse nearly as much, but the one guy that I do, it's funny. One of the guys I do have a relationship with is Spencer Torkelson, uh, you know, young, powerful first baseman one, one, right. So in 2020, January of 2020, and I've not said this yet, but in January of 2020, Bill Walton and I had a Colorado Arizona State basketball game in January before the pandemic hit. And we did a bit where Spencer Torkelson, future first overall pick, was going to teach Bill Walton how to hit in the cage. So we get Torque, and he's like 20 at the time or however old he was, to go into the cage with Walton. Bill had on full catcher's gear with a bat in the cage. And we aired it during the telecast. And it's funny because I went in for a, in June, I went in for a Tigers-Twins game and I went into the visiting clubhouse to go talk to A.J. Hinch. And Torque comes up to me and he goes, hey, how's it going? And I hadn't seen him in a year, year and a half, whatever. I go, good. He goes, how's Bill? And I said, you still remember that, huh? He goes, yes, I do. <laughs> the thing, you know, I mean, there's a lot about Bill Walton, as you know, but like, you know, when you're sitting there broadcasting a game with him and obviously the, you know, we know about his basketball career, UCLA, Boston Celtics, but like having read some of the S Sports Illustrated stories that profiled him in college, 99% of the people don't know just how much he was involved in like civil rights on campus. Like if I remember right, there were times that like there were – he might have had to get security because there was like potential terrorists who were trying to – domestic terrorists who were trying to get – like the, the thing about Walton is like – and I know you know this, Jason, so I know I'm sort of preaching to the choir in so many ways. The guys had like 90 different lives, like not like one or two, but like 90 and so much of – like what happened to him also happened between like 18 and 22. He's really a remarkable American figure just given what he was doing at that time. I laugh so hard, Richard, when people say to me, I can't watch Bill because it's always about him. No, you have it very wrong. It's about his sensibility of what the planet can mean to him. If he wanted to, through all those telecasts that he does with Pash, with me, whoever it is, with Roxy, he could say, I met this person, I met that person, I did this, I did that. Instead, he says, the acacia trees are blooming, <laughs> right? It's not about him. It could be about him. He is the most fascinating, truly empathetic deeply caring person you will ever meet. It's like being friends with the woods. It's like being in nature with another human being. Yeah, He is, but he, I, he's not about himself. Like you just said it perfectly. He has had 90 lives. He knows truly everybody and he is not a name dropper. Right. He you never does that you never other than obviously his love for john wooden you never hear bill saying like well in 1969 on the campus here's like 
you know, there was a war protest and I like, but the guy was part of all that. Like, that's what's crazy to me. And I think most fans and understandably, like they know him as the wacky guy who does late night Pac-12 basketball games. But, you know, those of us were at least a little bit older and he's not even of my generation is like, like this, you know, it's, you know, it's different, obviously, but like he, Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, these, these people lived through so many different major things that happened in the United States um, and it's just, it's remarkable. And, and in many ways, Bill's almost a modern miracle and one that he's healthy enough to do these games. And then two, that he sort of found a whole like new generation at his age, which does not always happen. Um, no, if you watch him and snapper Jones working together on those right. NBC games and Tom <laughs> Hammond or whoever was doing the games, yeah. you don't see this guy. You know, you don't see like Timothy Leary with a basketball, <laughs> That's right. right? That's not what you're encountering. Uh, you're, it's a totally different human being. But what I will say about what you just said is not only did they live it and live through all of these generational moments, he also was in it. Yeah, exactly. Like, put himself in it and was willing to expend capital, right? As the kids say, to be involved in it, not because it was a win for him publicly, but because it was what was in his heart. And I've, I've, I honestly have taken a lot from working with him. I really have. All right. Two more here. Um, one, um, do you, do you ever foresee you not doing baseball? Like, is there something, whether it would be Fox or some Fox like place was like Jason, we're going to make you our number one NFL announcer. You're going to do Super Bowls every three years. But, you know, like Joe Buck, you got to you got to give up baseball. You know what? Like, is there anything you think down the road that could attract you where you would not do this? I, I honestly, if that was going to happen, it would have happened now. I, I, I Fox has been great to me and I could go do Fox games and nothing else. And I could live a fine life and, and I could go work on other projects or whatever it might be. I, look, I, I think in another life, if I had the um, ability to walk like a normal person, uh, quoting that other person we were talking about earlier, right, right. Uh, if I, if I could walk like a quote unquote normal person, uh, I would have really liked to be somebody who, even if it was in like seventh or eighth grade or freshman year of high school, just uh, acted a little bit or like was in a writer's room or something. I've always been drawn to um, funny people. My parents and I watched SNL together pretty religiously. And so, uh, you know, I think the one thing that I would have done would be to just go be part of a writer's room, right? Or to go write a show or to be around those creative people. But I am not Hollywood. I grew up in the Midwest and I am sort of repelled by fake. It just doesn't work for me. I don't enjoy it. And I like try to pick it out as quickly as I possibly can. So what baseball does is it puts you in a situation with an entire crew on a day-to-day basis to react to all of the things happening around you and create a show out of it. Yeah. While also 
we're competing with Friends reruns and Breaking Bad reruns and season four of Succession and everything that goes along with it. We don't have a writer's room. We just have each other watching baseball. But it's the same idea. It's the same concept. And the reason I do it is that. It's because you're around all these creative people who want to present something in a way that really lands and really hits and makes people smile. Because that's what I got out of SNL is like it was a way for me to laugh when things were a little dark. It, and so go ahead. baseball is the conduit for that for me. And it ends up building these super creative, fun relationships like Kevin Brown and I did four seasons of minor league baseball together in AAA. You know, uh, Baltimore Orioles martyr Kevin Brown. Yes. Right. <laughs> Famed. Famed uh, the Orioles, oh, idiots. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to disagree. He is the most creative person I know. We did four seasons of minor league baseball together, and sometimes it landed, and sometimes it didn't. But man, did we have a good time! And man, do people still talk about the stupid bits we did every once in a <laughs> while to try to make ourselves laugh? But, but like you're doing something that resonates with people and makes them feel better, but you don't have to do it within the constraints of like standards and practices telling right. you what to do with a character. The characters are there. You just have to figure out what makes them beautiful. Yeah. That's nicely said. I was just going to say that, uh, everything you said just reminds me of how brilliant Bob Euchre was in that he was able to, uh, morph comedy and baseball in a way no one has been able to do since um, to the point where the guy was known as like one of Carson's best guests on a comedy show. Not the, you know, obviously he did Mr. Belvedere. I know he acted, but like his timing was so impeccable that at the time, arguably the most important television show on the planet, that guy was a regular because of his comedy, not because he was a baseball broadcaster. No, no. And I'm not saying like, let's do it for the yucks. Right. I just think the best comics, like one of my greatest influences, other than Sean McDonough, Ian Eagle, Kevin Harlan, like all those, Bob Costas, all those people is John Mulaney. I think John Mulaney's comedic timing is once in a lifetime. His bit about the salt and pepper diner and playing over and over again, Tom Jones is what's new pussycat is the greatest eight minutes of comedy I think I've ever heard. And I've watched a lot of like Robin Williams, Jonathan Winters together on The Tonight Show. But the the timing that Mulaney has and the, the fact that every word matters and the tone in every word and everything that goes along with it, like it's just brilliant. It's brilliant. And so, yeah, that that is where my love for baseball. I mean, I've I've made great friendships through baseball but I've also had these moments that will never, ever, ever go away in my mind, other people's minds, whatever, just because we were kind of riffing. Last one for me. Uh, I know you have a law degree from Wake Forest. Do you ever use it? <laughs> uh, you know, the answer is, and, and I, this is not a cliched answer. I truly use it every day, especially in college football season. Uh, Brock Heward and Allison Williams are on the broadcast alongside, and they are two of the most curious people I've ever met. And we are just difficult sometimes in these meetings because we ask questions that generally are short and open-ended 
and are truly curious questions. And it's not the law degree. I'm lumping them in because I'm trying to like um, social capital grab because I think the world of them. And so I'm, I'm lumping myself in with them. They can debate that if they want to, they know where your DMs are, but I will say I use it all the time because in law school, we learned that when you're talking to your own witness, you say things like, why did you do that? To let them talk. And then when you're talking to a witness that you're cross-examining from the other side, you say, you were at this house, right? And you had that knife, right? And you drove this car, right? And they have to say yes or no. You don't let them talk. But when it's your witness, which every athlete we cover is our witness. We want them to talk, not us to talk. I use it all the time. And I actually use it on Twitter or X as well, because when I say something on the air, it's very much like in the courtroom, you make your argument, the jury goes and deliberates, right? They go and sit there and they talk and you can't like run through the jury room door and say, no, 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 that's not what I meant. They're going to take it however they heard it. And if I wasn't precise enough to do it the right way to make it land, that's my own fault. So I don't respond to people on Twitter when they say, you're an idiot. How dare you say that uh, and say, oh, you're wrong. You didn't hear me right. That's how they heard it. And they were probably cooking dinner at the same time or they had four kids. Right. So maybe they misheard me and they had a bad day and they just want to yell at somebody go for it i'm here for you <laughs> it's very interesting though the way the open-ended questions uh the way you sort of showed that between uh uh almost like prosecuting defense i'm gonna actually remember that uh jason benetti is the new voice television voice of the detroit tigers also obviously has uh, many assignments for fox including uh, he is in the middle of college football now so like you just referenced you can hear him rock Heward, and allison um williams depending on what game they have uh, listen, Jason, it's very good of you to do this. I know you have a busy day today. Have a great call later tonight. And uh, and thank you so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you for having me, Richard. Really appreciate it. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Jason Benetti for his time. Uh, much appreciated. If you like this stuff, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, etc. Uh, previous, uh, or recent, I should say, interviews, Women's College Basketball Explodes as a media play with my colleagues Chantel Jennings and Ben Pickman. Uh, had Austin Karp and Ben Fisher on from the Sports Business Journal. We talked about the NFL's mega viewership year. Um, had Amanda Gifford on, who is the vice president of production for ESPN, oversees all their college football event productions. That was kind of interesting if you're into behind-the-scenes stuff. John Chomby, another great baseball voice, was a recent guest on this podcast. So was Ian Eagle. Again, uh, should be stuff there that you'll appreciate and enjoy. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.